I'm Amy Jo Martin. Welcome to the Why Not Now show. You know that thing you've been thinking about doing? Yeah, that one. Why not now? Have you ever actually taken the time to ask yourself, what's stopping me? Let's talk it through. This is your chance to give that idea the attention it deserves and take action. Each episode, I have a chat with a fascinating person from entrepreneurs to athletes, celebrities, my parents, rocket scientists, and all walks of life. We talk through a critical time when they've asked themselves, why not now? We dissect that day or even that moment, step by step. Hi everyone, quick favor before we dive in. If you are digging this podcast, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. It just takes a moment and it means a ton to us. Also, after recording more than 100 episodes, I've created a bit of a cheat sheet on the top five things I've learned from renegades and how they get from idea to action, from dreaming to doing. I will email you the downloadable PDF when you subscribe to my newsletter. Just head to amyjomartin.com and click on connect with me. Today, we're going to talk about what you want to talk about. I love receiving questions from you and learning about what's on your mind. So I'm going to answer some of your questions in this episode. We cover everything from personal branding to how to identify your why not now idea and many other topics. And I also sprinkle in some of my own personal stories as well. I'm going to be doing this more often, so if you have any questions, please reach out to me on social media. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, pretty much everywhere, and I'll answer your questions on the show. We tackle the most taboo topics on the Why Not Now show. Oftentimes, you're hearing guests share things they've never shared before. In the spirit of things we don't typically talk about, you should know that the Why Not Now show is supported by Poopery. Yep, the original before you go toilet spray. It's magic. My friends at Poopery have literally taken the smell out of you know what. This pure blend of essential oils stops bathroom odor before it begins. Visit poopery.com and why not now listeners get 20% off with code why not now. That's all one word. Also, you can now get Poopery at Target. We all seem to know someone who's about to have a baby. And the question is, what do we get them as a gift? Do we really go to that registry and scroll through those sometimes boring items? Or do we wow them with something different and unique? I have a solution for you. It's called Baby Beats. Baby Beats are one-of-a-kind songs created using the recorded heartbeat of the baby in utero. The song is coupled with a video That includes photos of the expecting parents and their journey to parenthood, and then it's delivered to you in a cute little wooden box with a USB drive inside. It's adorable. 
Baby beats are a great solution for baby shower gifts or even for announcement videos for the expecting parents themselves. They can share these on social media and it's really unique. If you are interested in baby beats, head to yourbabybeats.com and you get a 25% discount as a Why Not Now listener. So at checkout, enter in Why Not Now as your coupon code, Why Not Now, no caps, and you get 25% off. Head to yourbabybeats.com. Okay, here we go. First question. How would you find inspiration if you are a complete solo act? What would you do in your why not now moment if you had no real support that understood what you're doing? So great question. And the first thing that pops into mind is that any time you innovate, whether it's for your business or you're innovating yourself, adversity will follow. Trust me on this. Adversity is like this pesky little cousin or sibling that is always there, like a shadow right there, because you are doing something new, right? And it makes people uncomfortable. As I think about this situation, a lot of personal stories in my path from my journey come to mind. And before I, there's one specifically that I'd love to share with you, but before I do, I think it's also important to look around in this situation. So if there's something that you've been wanting to do that you feel very passionate about, and that you find a lot of purpose in, that you feel like your skill is aligned with, then the people around you, if they're not quite seeing that or understanding that, maybe they just don't understand quite yet that that's how you feel. Or maybe you want to look around and really take a second look at where you're spending your time and who you're spending your time with. There's a saying that a friend of mine once told me, And I'm pretty sure she got it from like a Hallmark greeting card or something. But she said, people come into your life for a reason, season, or a lifetime. And if those people around you aren't supporting you, you might not spend as much time with them. And if they're family members and you really feel like you don't have that choice, then I have some other thoughts for you too. Uh, But being intentional about who your your three or four or five people that you spend the majority of your time with is huge because that mirrors back, you know, who we are. And the other thing is there's someone out there, there's a group of people out there that will get it, that will understand. So you just need to find them. The more you do that thing that you want to do or pursue, the more they'll show up. But you have to take that first step first. And something that one of my mentors said to me, Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos, and he said this actually on this podcast. He said, be unapologetically true to yourself and your tribe will find you. It's like you don't even have to seek. They'll just actually, it's like a magnet. They'll be attracted to you. So the more you do that and the more you live in that zone, the more that they'll be attracted. So this this reminds me so vividly of a situation that I was in, and it was 2008. I was working for the Phoenix Suns, and I was experimenting with social media. I was working as the director of digital media and research for the NBA team, and there was a lot of misunderstanding. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of uncomfort around social communication because it was new, and 
Nobody know, knew what to think of it. There weren't any rules yet. And I had just started helping Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> learn how to tweet and started building out these strategies for him. And it started to make news, big news. And this sounds all great, but actually what was happening was I work in the front office in marketing. And a lot of my friends that I had there as coworkers and my bosses, they were not super excited about this because it was a new space. I was stepping outside of my swim lane and doing things that I wasn't really hired to do per se. And there weren't any rules. And there was a lot of wondering, are you stepping on my toes? Where should this new social media thing reside within the company? Should it be in the creative department? Should it be in marketing? Should it be in marketing partnerships? And so a lot of people actually, quite frankly, were not a fan of mine. And here's this wonderful thing happening out in the public and getting lots of amazing you know, feedback and excitement and momentum about it forward-facing, but behind the scenes, I actually started losing friends left and right and support. So I started <laughs> working from the the stadium area. They, we called it the bowl. <laughs> so at the Phoenix Suns, the front offices are at the same place as where the arena is and the same place where the locker room and the practice court are, which is sometimes uncommon. And I would take my computer my laptop, it was like this PC thing, (laughs) into this area and work from one of the empty seats, thousands of seats in the arena because I felt like nobody liked me. And what I was secretly doing was doing my work, but also scheming, how can I start my own business? Because I think it's time that I move on. In retrospect, there were a lot of people who are innovative and I was asking a lot of forgiveness instead of permission because I had to. I would never get the permission to do what I was doing because there weren't any rules yet. But I also knew that if I didn't take advantage of this specific time and momentum and opportunity and how I was feeling about wanting to pursue this passion, then it was never going to grow. And so I look at that time frame and think, gosh, I was a solo act and I didn't feel very much real support, just like the question that was being asked here. So, you know, the other thing is use social media as your support. DM me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and I'll share ideas with you. I mean, it's you can find support in a lot of different areas. So hopefully that's helpful. Michael Silver asked, I want to learn more about personal branding. I have zero steps so far besides mentally picturing what it should include. Okay, so I have a ton of thoughts on this. I even wrote a book on this called Renegades Write the Rules. And, you know, I think personal branding, first of all, just that term has really started to get on my nerves a bit because as someone even who used to promote and helped really launch some of the biggest personalities in the world on social media, I used to all day, every day, talk about it and endorse it. But here's the problem with that term, personal branding. We have taken it a little too far. It's 2018, and I'm the first to admit that what we've done as a collective society, most people, is we've created and tried to kind of 
reverse engineer ourselves into this static image that we call a brand and this highly polished, highly produced highlight reel of content. And the thing about this is images are not alive. Images are static and they don't evolve. So we're kind of trapping ourselves, first of all. And secondly, the whole idea of social communication was to humanize, in my opinion. One of the most brilliant, amazing things about these social media platforms are that we can connect and we're only bound by the speed of technology, which is quite fast. There are no geographic barriers. So there's this opportunity to connect at scale in a way that's never been available before. And when we brand, I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, but I am. When we brand ourselves so much, we don't even become human anymore. As something I've always said, humans connect with humans, not logos or static images. And so the danger sometimes when we take the personal branding concept too far is that that brand and that facade starts to elbow out the real us. And as someone who learned this the really hard way, that can become a big problem because you start to lose your identity a little bit. In my case, I know I did. So what do you do? Where do you start, Michael? My first piece of advice is for you to identify your value. And that is because the golden rule of social communication is to deliver value when, where, and how your audience wants to receive it. So what does that mean? How do you identify your value? Well, you have to really start to think about what you are uniquely qualified to share. And it doesn't mean that you have to be an expert in some sort of category necessarily. But it is important to think about what unique value you offer in terms of maybe it's education and you're sharing information with people that will help them learn and grow. Maybe it's exclusive content that only you have access to. Maybe it's you're funny. Maybe it's comedy, a comedic relief into someone's day. It could be reciprocation. So think about all these different types of value. And then the other key thing And this is at like the meta level. There are all types of tactics when it comes to social media. But if you take it up to 30,000 feet and you're thinking strategically, one of the things that is super important is you want your following, your audience to connect with who you are, not what you're doing. So what does that mean? For example, let's take Dwayne The Rock Johnson arguably one of the most successful people on social media out there. So when I was working with DJ and we launched his presence, which didn't happen right away, by the way, because at first he told me, I'm a private man. I don't want to share anything. And eventually I get a call down the road and he was ready. And what we did is we started to look at who he was and his various audience buckets So if you think about someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he has a lot of potential targets, right? So he has done everything from kids' movies, Disney, The Tooth Fairy, to the shoot 'em, fight 'em up types of movies. I might be saying that wrong, but whatever it's called. You know, the G.I. Joes and the 
the crazy, the rock movies, but he also has his fans from WWE. And he has people who are just simply inspired by his philosophy on how he attacks his day and his life. And so when we started to look at all of DJ, we realized, okay, yeah, we have to do something that will appeal to everyone. Because if you just if he's just sharing the same type of content all the time, if he's on set of a movie and it's the same thing, he's probably going to isolate two-thirds of his audience, if not more. So it was so important that everything he shared connected back to who he was, not what he was doing. And the beauty in this is that then you can diversify and you can reach a lot of people. You don't have to just target a certain type of audience. So think of your life and your world in terms of kind of a 360-degree landscape. And if you're just talking about your business all the time, then you are not going to resonate with people on multiple levels. And eventually, people are going to tune out because you're just marketing, right? This is just a one-way monologue (laughs) versus a dialogue. So there's something so simple, but something even easier than trying to come up with just content and ways to talk about a certain thing when really it's all about you. And sometimes that makes people uncomfortable because they say to me, especially executives or people who are just private, they'll say, well, I don't want to share everything. I don't want to share what I'm eating or what my kids are doing or – and that's okay. There's still enough about your life and different aspects that you have plenty to talk about. You have full control over what you share and what you don't share, right? This isn't paparazzi. There's no one following you around with a camera that's going to post something that you didn't approve of. You have control of that faucet. So try to kind of look at personal branding. I'm using air quotes again. You can't see me, but as just your presence. Let's just call it your presence online. And someone recently asked me, they said, so do you just need to be vulnerable and then you'll connect with people and then you'll, you know, engage and and have a lot of success with social communication? And I was kind of confused at first and I thought, well, vulnerability will always help connection and, and it provides an amazing deep type of connection, but that's not for everybody. So you don't have to share or air your dirty laundry in order to have people, you know, engage and and resonate with your content. It's all about being real in your own voice and not overthinking it. Don't overcook it, right? Because that's when people, as they're scrolling through their feeds, they have decoders. They have these magical decoders. We all do. And we all can personally relate where you're looking at something and you're scrolling through Facebook, through Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and if you see something over-contrived, not only do you just scroll faster to get through it, but you might unfollow. And subconsciously, you have a feeling about that person. So don't overthink it, right? Oh, and for any of you who might be thinking, that's great, Amy Joe, interesting info, but I'm not doing The Rock Johnson. Believe me, I've heard this before and I totally understand. 
I have used the same exact strategies and philosophy that's in Renegades Write the Rules, the book, with my mom, who has a small uh, B&B lodging company and wedding venue business with all types of businesses, individuals of all types of sizes. So this isn't just for celebrities. And I use that example because sometimes it's more interesting for people to hear. But also, I think it just allows you to to think in, tor- in terms of big picture. You could go to at the rock feed on Twitter or Instagram right now and see exactly what I'm saying. So don't take that as, oh, well, that's not me because actually these principles apply to all of us. I think it's important to remember too that the world of social media, the space is alive. It moves real time. So to us, as we're posting things and we're figuring out what value we have and what we can do, it's all an experiment. So give it a try, and I guarantee it's not like this is a billboard that's just going to be sitting out there and everybody's going to be staring at or a newspaper at. This is moving so quickly through people's lives, if it even reaches you know, as many people as you'd like because the algorithms are so – they trump everything. Don't keep yourself from getting started because you're, you have kind of a writer's block. Just start. And it starts to unfold. And if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. That's the key. There are times lately where I'm really annoyed by social communication. And you know what? It's my own fault. It's probably because I'm following people that I should stop following or I'm overthinking it or maybe I'm spending too much time on it. But it's it's supposed to be somewhat fun. It's called social media. So have fun with it. Bill Moore asked, when tempted to get down on yourself, what's your go-to means of pulling up and out of that? Great question. So I realized a long time ago, I haven't fully figured it out, but I realized that I'm aware that if I can learn to push my own buttons and figure out how to inspire myself and pull myself out of ruts versus relying on anyone else or anything else to do it, then I'm good. And trust me, I don't have all the answers, but I've talked to a lot of people and tried a lot of things, and I feel like this is something I've I've graduated a little bit on uh, and I've improved a little bit on. So here we go. Um, first of all, the thing that comes to mind that you might want to listen to is there's an episode with Billy Corgan on the White On Now podcast, and he talks about getting into a really dark place. In fact, It's what inspired him to write one of his hit songs. He was at the point of almost taking his own life. And at the end of the episode, he talks us through, and what was crazy is he hadn't ever told the story before, but I didn't know that he had never shared the story. So it ended up making it to Rolling Stone and all these types of mediums and and really kind of going crazy because in terms of people wanting to listen because he had never shared this. But what he said when I asked him if he had any advice for someone who's in that situation where they're just in such a down and dark place, they don't know what to do. He said, move. And at first I thought, what do you mean move? This person is like in dire straits and you want them to move their house? And he said, no, move your body, move, get up, walk around, go outside, walk around your apartment, walk around your house, get outside if you can and just go on 
a short walk. Move your body. And even if it's not that dark and deep of a place that you're in, but you're just in a mood, been there. If I take a walk in the forest for 10 minutes and come back, it's what Tony Robbins calls changing your state. Physiologically, scientifically, it's proven. It will change your physical makeup for that time and, and situation. So there's that, first of all. And you don't have to be in this... Like super intense place, like just moving around will will help. Another thing that I've found that's really useful, and I didn't used to subscribe to this, but I do now, and I wish I would have in the past, is that gratitude is a strategy. And if you would have said that to me four years ago, I would have probably rolled my eyes and kind of thought that sounds so fluffy like I need real tangible strategies not just be grateful and we all know it's important to be grateful but the thing is is again physiologically we can't feel fear and gratitude at the same time similarly we can't feel anger and be grateful at the same exact time like literally we we can't do it so Wow, that was a big, you know, kind of wake up call for me is that, yeah, it really is a strategy. Think about things that that you're grateful for. One of the things that I do, if I'm in a bad mood or just kind of down and everything, they call it piling on, I think, where it's like one thing's kind of wrong and then you think of 10 other things and all of a sudden your mountain or your molehill is turned into a mountain or whatever that saying is. I will hop online, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn, and I will say, I have a few extra minutes. Is there anything I can do to help you? And what's kind of selfish about this is that it is a guaranteed way to put me in a good mood because, again, back to science, I like science. I like numbers. I like to know that there's some sort of proven aspect to things. This is the science of serotonin. Serotonin works like this. You do something nice for me, you get a hit of serotonin, and so do I as the recipient. Well, here's the kicker. So does everyone else who witnesses that act. So if you open the door for me going into a grocery store, we both feel good because you helped me and I feel helped, but so does anyone who actually saw that happening. If you take that concept online and you think about how many potential people are witnessing, even if you don't know it, it doesn't mean they had to have liked or commented or engaged with that post and that interaction online, but they have also gotten a hit of serotonin. So technically, we can scale serotonin online. And now I'm getting into a little bit of a rabbit hole. But if you help someone else, this is just as simple as it gets. If you do something to help someone else, it will make you feel good. And so that's a little trick too. It's so easy to lose confidence and kind of get down on ourselves. But when we have these tangible kind of tactical tips and tricks in our tool basket, our tool belt, tool belt, then why not use them, right? Because they work and These are things I've been using over and over. And if you know they work, there you go. Because oftentimes we can pull ourselves out of it, you know, pretty quickly. 
Where did you get the idea for your Pirates versus Ninjas question during the rapid fire round in almost every podcast? So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar, but pretty much almost every podcast I will ask during rapid fire questions, Pirates or Ninjas, who's tougher and why? And where this came from, the genesis of this actually has nothing to do with the podcast. Many years ago, uh, it was probably 2009-ish, maybe 10, I realized on Twitter that the algorithm would favor you if you built momentum. So this was like the early days of just trying to figure out, you know, how does this work? Are they really sending what I'm saying to all the people who are following and then we realized, no, there's no possible way they can. They also realized this and articles would come out. Now we see this whole myth about, not myth, it's actually, it's mysterious, uh, the whole concept of algorithms and they're a thing. So what I would do back in the day before there were Twitter polls and you couldn't actually put in your answers, potential answers to a question, I would just tweet out, pirates or ninjas? Who's tougher? Why? And what I would do is I would send that out and get conversation going before I would tweet something else that I really wanted people to listen to or to respond to or a call to action. So it was like a one-two punch, a little bit sneaky, a little bit tricky. But the reason this question works and the reason I like this question is that people have an opinion. Very rarely, if Actually, I'm not even sure that I've ever heard someone say, well, I don't know, to that question. You are either team pirates or you are team ninjas, and there is really no between. When people are thinking just kind of by the seat of their pants, off the top of their head, why? They just feel kind of under pressure that they need to back up their opinion and their decision. I think it's hilarious, and I think you learn a lot about a person when – you kind of hold their feet to the fire and have them defend their answer. And I, someday we will do a medley of all the answers of why certain guests have, have – just their answers of pirates or ninjas, who's tougher and which they chose because it's quite hilarious. And if you're wondering, I am team pirates all day every day and the reason is I lived on a boat and it wasn't easy. And I have a lot of other rationale, but for the sake of getting on to the next question, I will refrain. So there's your answer. I don't know what my why not now is. Where do I start? I'm ready to do something, and I know that. Okay. So I do get this question often, and what's good about this is that you know you are fully self-aware that you are ready to do something. So that's a good thing because oftentimes people are just not ready. They have ideas, but they are fully not ready. So here you are. You're ready. You just need the thing, right? This is actually kind of fun and it can be an adventure. You might have heard me say before on the podcast, and this is something that I repeat a lot because I truly subscribe and believe this and I live my life this way and that is where purpose passion and skill collide bliss resides okay if I would have come up with that little 
phrase again five years ago, I would have thought it was the most fluffy sounding, silly thing, and I would have probably rolled my eyes. But the way and the reason I came up with this was out of pure experience and actually going through a pretty pretty tough situation where I was lacking purpose. There was such a deficit that it really uh, impacted my life in a negative way, and I realized that that was I had a purpose problem. So where purpose, passion, and skill collide, bliss resides. If we can live in that intersection, if we can identify that intersection, then we're good for a while. And the reason I say for a while is because it's a moving target. If you think about it, your passions fluctuate. What you were passionate about 20 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago, maybe even two months ago or yesterday may be different than what you're passionate about today. However, if you start to just get out a piece of paper and have three columns, purpose, passion, skill, and I've done this so many times with so many friends and people that are coming to me saying, I just, I need to change. I'm not doing what I love. Start there. Start listing. Just stream of consciousness. Just start listing what you find purpose in, what gives you purpose, and just write. This isn't your plan. This isn't your strategy. This is a starting point. What are your passions? What are your hobbies? What are things that you love to do, things that when you're doing them, you lose track of time, you're in total flow, and it's just bliss, right? Start listing those. They could be so random, anything from gardening to spending time with my dog to who knows. Just write it down. Then the next category is skill. So start writing down what you're good at. And don't be so humble that you're just questioning yourself when you get to this column. And if you can't get through this portion of it, start asking people that are really close to you, around you, and saying, what do you think I'm good at? Once you start listing this stuff down, just start thinking about where they might intersect. Is there a way you could start to blend these things and get really curious about where you you might be able to overlap a little bit of one and a little bit of another. This doesn't mean this is your lifelong strategy and path. This is the experiment process. This is the experimentation process. So starting there and getting really curious and being open-minded, what that does is it opens up your awareness to these things. And you'll be thinking about it when you don't even realize you're thinking about it. And when we start to do that, we start to meet people and pay attention to things that weren't on our radar before. So that's a really good place to start. One of the things that I think is a bit of a misconception is that when people make leaps, when they decide to jump from what they're doing now to what they did next or what they want to do next, it's just one quick leap. And that's not usually the case. It's usually pretty gradual from what I've experienced. And there's kind of that myth of, oh, it's a clean break. But in most situations that I've seen, especially if people have, let's say they have a day job, they work at a corporate company or they work at a nine to five five job and they're wanting to shift and they have a passion that they turn into a side hustle, something that they are able to make just a little bit of money from and still enjoy it on weekends, on nights. And then they start to grow and they find, oh, 
I'm actually getting to the point to where I don't have enough time to fulfill all these people that actually want my help. Well, then we're starting to get to that point where we can make decisions and we can get curious about how this might actually turn into a full-time situation. There's a book called The Originals by Adam Grant, who has also been on this podcast. And he points out in The Originals, it's a great book, that most cases people don't just jump. And he specifically talks about Warby Parker. And the the founders of that company held on to their day gigs, their comfy corporate jobs, for as long as they could until they finally realized they had to make a change and full-time focus on their startup, which became wildly successful. So just getting curious and a little playful is important. And the last thing I might add to this is that I found in working in, uh, you know, the corporate world, ad agencies, even professional sports, I realized that my ladder was leaning against the wrong wall, per se. So I was climbing this ladder and trying to get promoted and getting promoted and then wanting more and realizing I actually don't even want another promotion. I don't even want to go up this ladder anymore And I want to move my ladder somewhere else. And so I did. And you know what? Eventually, I wanted to move it again. And I did it again. And that's okay. Uh, I think, you know, how I grew up and how many of us grew up was, you know, you go to school, you get your education, figure out what you want to do. You start at the bottom and you work your way up and you work your way up all the way to the top. And then eventually you retire. That's it. It's not okay to change ladders or move your ladder to another wall. (laughs) That's just not the case anymore. It's 2018. We are so democratized in terms of what we can do because of the internet, because of technology. And uh, you can move your ladder. You can lean it up against any wall you want. And you know what? You can move it again. So that would be my advice. How do you find a mentor? I do get a lot of questions about mentorship and Even people asking me, will you be my mentor? Sometimes people I've never even, you know, met or have never even, you know, talked to them. And this is an interesting subject. And I think I might have a little bit of a different opinion than what you might find out there because I guess I'm just a renegade. But in all of my cases with the mentors I've had, and I've gone through seasons with mentors, by the way, I wouldn't say... You know, I've just had one mentor along my journey. I think that's pretty normal. But I've kind of side-doored it or backdoored it, however you want to say that. But I have never officially asked someone, will you be my mentor? And I'm not saying that it's wrong to do that because you totally can. But as my experience as a mentee and a mentor of people, I've always looked at it as kind of an organic process. It's like a relationship with anyone else. You wouldn't walk up to someone and just say, will you be my boyfriend (laughs) that you've never met or my girlfriend or my partner? You have to build that relationship and first see if you even, you know, really connect and resonate with each other. So mentorships, um, I've never really had a super formal situation, but I think it's important to 
to kind of listen and pay attention to the connection you have with someone else. Really see if, in a way, it's all about equal value exchange. So even the people that I've mentored, I've actually gotten just as much out of it, I think, as they have because I've wanted to help. I learn so much when I am mentoring, just as much as when I'm a mentee. And so you want to make sure that that value is being felt from both ends. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And that reciprocation and that desire to, you know, give your energy and effort won't be there if it's not resonating. So uh, I would first try and connect with, with someone informally. And if you feel that vibe, if you want to bring up that term, you totally can. But it's just an interesting thing about semantics where I think sometimes we put labels on things and they then get kind of formal and a little weird and awkward. So as a very, very initial starting point, you know, connecting with someone, reaching out, asking them a simple question, a very specific intentional question that you have, if they respond and they seem energetic and excited, then maybe you ask another one and then maybe you take them to coffee or tea. I I look at this world of mentorship as uh, an an opportunity to be super organic with your approach and normal, like just natural and as authentic as you can. Because when that, that mutual connection is there, then you can't even deny it. It will just continue to grow. So to wrap this up, I'm going to do rapid fire questions with myself (laughs) because I've had a few people ask, well, tell us about what you're reading or all these these answers to the rapid fire questions. So here we go. I'm going to act like I'm like the interviewer and the interviewee. Okay, here we go. This is really weird and awkward, but imagine me sitting in the forest in my studio downstairs in my basement asking myself questions by myself with computers around and stuff. It's really weird. Okay. So Amy Jo, what are you reading right now? And what's your all-time favorite book? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. My favorite books to come to mind are Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak and Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Wait, I thought I actually knew that somehow. Next question. What keeps you up at night? Well, if I'm being completely honest here, what keeps me up at night is thinking about if I'm spending my time in the right ways, doing the right things. And when I say right, I think what I really mean is in the most impactful ways. So really kind of analyzing and and auditing where I'm spending my time and what I'm doing and how I'm spending it because I just want to make really good use of it. Good to know. So next question, pirates or ninjas, who's tougher and why? I'm so glad you asked this because it's one of my favorite questions and that is for sure pirates. When people hear this question, Sometimes I think they get confused, that they think who would win in a battle. And that is different than who is tougher. Pirates are definitely tougher. They live out in the middle of the ocean. I've spent time in the middle of the ocean. That's a very scary place to be. And it's not easy. 
pirates are tougher for sure. I could go on and on and on, but I won't. And final question, what advice would you give to your younger self? What advice would I give to my younger self? So I would tell my younger self, you are enough and ease up. I feel like a lot of my life has been spent trying to prove something, prove something to myself, prove something to someone else. And there's been a little bit of a chip on my shoulder just trying to press from a place of of proving and showing that I can do something. And A, it's not a good look, but B, it's not necessary. Uh, it's, It's actually energy kind of spent and allocated towards something that that really doesn't matter. Um, so when, I, as I'm learning to let go of that, things actually get a lot easier. And when I say ease up, I just mean it's so easy to push and and really force things when you want them to happen. And I've found that, sure, sometimes you can hit home runs when you do that and you really just push But in most cases, when I ease up and let things happen, not only does more happen, but uh, it's a much more enjoyable experience. So ease up, sister, is something that I catch myself saying to myself all the time. Whether this is the first time you've listened or if you listen to every episode, I want to say thank you. And if you like what you heard, please share it with a friend. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, it's super easy to share. Just tap on the three dots in the bottom right-hand corner, and an option will appear that says Share Episode. You can text a friend the episode right there. Super simple. And that's it for today. Thanks again for spending time with me. I'll see you next week. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the show. Hit me up on social media to let me know what you think. I'm at Amy Jo Martin on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And I want to hear your Why Not Now moments so I can share them on the show. Just send me a note to whynotnow at amyjomartin.com. For show notes and other offers, you can visit amyjomartin.com forward slash why not now. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for my email newsletter for exclusive content and announcements. A big thanks to Rock Salt Music for all of the tunes by the talented John Coggins. And of course, a hat tip to Richard Gruer for editing and producing the show. I'll see you next time. And until then, why not now? Mm-hmm.